Hello and welcome to episode 299 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you. Hello. From Renton, Washington. There we go. Home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. It is the first time we have podcasted in person since early November. You said Jimmy Lake was still the coach of the Washington Huskies. I haven't double-checked the timeline on that, but I'm pretty confident of it. All right. So, yeah, it's it's been a minute is what I'm saying. Well, it's good to be back. We can't really podcast in Boulevard Park, Washington anymore after you moved. I mean, the house is still sitting there. We can still <laughs> okay, podcast. Good, good. <laughs> you and I podcasting in an empty house. Also, the house we grew like up in cast live. still there in Boulevard Park <laughs> okay. separately. All right. We have plenty of opportunities to podcast and in Boulevard the, Park. And the third family. <laughs> the house our family owns in Boulevard That's Park. That's why Boulevard Park is the home of the Pelton cast. Oh, no. <laughs> Wouldn't have it any other oh, way. Oh, boy. Uh, let's get right into it. This week's beer. We have the Fremont Brewing Snowpack Hazy Pale Ale, which was brewed in partnership with She Jumps, the Northwest Avalanche Center, and K2. This partnership supports women in the Pacific Northwest to afford afford vital avalanche education that will allow them to travel safely with educated decision-making when recreating on snow. All right. Recreating on snow is a very funny way to put it. Our first toast this week... Look at that. Uh, cheers to in person. Oh, a yeah. toast to recording in person again. All right. There we go. A toast to toasting. Mm. We've just been doing it remotely for such a long time now. Wow. We actually toasted. Uh, also, a quick toast to the Pagliacci, leftover Pagliacci that you had for dinner that I ate several hours later. Uh, Still delicious. There's, always. Always. You're going to have to toast to the famous cousin Katie for that one. Yes. Shouts to her for bringing that through. Uh, we start off this week with a farewell to Tom Brady. Oh, thank God. This was is of Saturday. This was in here with a question mark because it wasn't clear whether it was going to be a farewell to Tom Brady. After. It, was it was farewell originally... to Tom Brady. I'm Ron Burgundy, but uh, earlier today he did in fact post his retirement announcement. Uh, faced the Seahawks just four times in his career, the Kinda third weird. lowest amount of any team. The other two teams below him, the Seahawks. The well, okay, fourth lowest, I okay. guess, yes, of any team besides the Patriots, were the other two teams in the NFC West. Really? So the way it worked was 2001, the first season that he played for the Patriots, uh-huh. they played the NFC West. The Seahawks weren't in the NFC West at that oh, point. Neither God. were the Cardinals, who wow. were in the NFC East. that's how old Tom that's Brady That's how long Tom Brady is. Like, if oh, you my post, God. Post a picture of you when Tom Brady first came into the league. The Seahawks are posting a picture of them playing at Husky Stadium in blue uniforms oh, in the God. AFC West. Wow, I hadn't even thought about that. So they didn't, the 40, back then, because there were five teams in each division instead of four, you only played four in the opposite conference. They randomly didn't play the 49ers. Somehow, weirdly, Tom Brady is drawn, like you to coaching, he's a moth to the flame that is the Rams. Because they played them in the regular season that year. Uh Played them in the Super Bowl, obviously, Mm -hmm. that they won. Uh, The last two years, since Tom Brady has been in the NFC and had more opportunities to play against AFC teams, They've played the Rams, NFC team, West teams. They've played the Rams both years is their random non, non-division. non In or the regular division. season and in the playoffs this year. And in the playoffs this year. Huh. And then the other, so the other reason this is, is 
in 2008 was the second time. The first time the NFC West came up again after the Seahawks were in the NFC West was 04. Seahawks lost in New England. This was part of a huge Patriots winning streak at that point as mm-hmm. they were en route to another Super Bowl. 2008 was the next time. That's when Tom Brady tore his ACL, didn't uh-huh. play any of the NFC West, West teams. Uh, 2012 did. That's the You Mad Bro game in Seattle. So good. Iconic. Uh-huh. 2016 was the game the Sunday after Election Day. Yes. The Kim Chancellor stop in the end zone on Rob Gronkowski. And it was um, freaking, oh my God, CJ Prosize went Yes, off. the CJ yes. Prosize game. Yes, correct. Uh, that I was actually listening to some clips where I, Zach Whitman referred to it as the CJ Prosize game because I'm going through for the best of 201 through 300. And we talk about the Patriots Seahawks game that was after Tom Brady was in Tampa Bay, the Cam Newton game okay. from early last season. But then remarkably, that season in 2016 was when he served his NFL suspension. One of the teams he was suspended against that Jimmy Garoppolo started against, I think, I don't think it was Jacoby Brissett, was the Cardinals. So we only played the Cardinals twice in his entire career. Wow. That's kind of wild. It is incredible. Considering how many years he was in the NFL, there's no team Russ has played less than two times against, right? Uh, I think there are some AFC teams he's only played or less than twice against. Probably not, no. And that's a way shorter career. Yeah. Huh. It's cool. it's quite bizarre. Russ has played against every team at least two times already. Except in this case for the Seahawks, yes. And the the Colts is probably only twice, is that right? I would have to go through it. Uh, I think that's up to three now, because obviously we played them this year. Huh. Yeah, I don't I think he's played almost every team three times. It probably is the case. Huh. But I can't conf- conclusively confirm that. In this moment. Well, that is wild. Yeah, it's funny. Like, Also, there was another game against the Patriots. We're not going to talk about it. I don't remember that one. Um, <laughs> I just remember that CJ Pro size game really clearly. It was, a it great was kind of like our Super Bowl. <laughs> it was, as we mentioned in that emergency pod, the first Pelton Cast emergency pod after we came back in 2016. Wow. The first real emergency pod. Because I, people actually listened to it. It's pretty wild because... Uh, the, those weeks back-to-back, right? It went tie and then Patriots. Was that consecutive weeks? Or do I always remember this wrong? I think there might have been a game in between those two. It was very, They were very close together, though. That is correct. That Cardinals tie, which is like one of the worst games that we've ever witnessed. Because the week before the election, I was in the Bay Area. I think the Seahawks had a bye. Oh, so or they played have... on Monday night. They played on Monday night. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, the Buffalo Bills on Monday night. Oh, yeah. There was also a game at New Orleans in between those. It's funny how, like, I always think that I'm going to remember every game. And now that Bills game on a Monday night, I'm just like. Well, that was a, wasn't that a memorable one? That was the the push out of the end zone. Richard Sherman pushed somebody out of the end zone. Terod Taylor was out of the pocket. And therefore, it was a legal, mm. con- it, it was a legal hit. And it was a real big Cheat Hawks game. It was, yeah, real big Cheat Hawks game, as I recall. Huh. That one has kind of faded from my memory. Uh, but it is interesting that I've spent, and I'm assuming you maybe not as viscerally as me, so many years hating Tom Brady, even though he hasn't really been like a Seahawks foil except no. for one game, basically. It's just he was so hateable from afar. Well, farewell, Tom Brady. <laughs> Godspeed. And Be- they never played him with Tampa either. Yeah. Because Tom Brady is not playing in the Super Bowl, their retirement was effective immediately. No, no Pro Bowl. He's not playing in the, the Pro, Pro Bowl, Bowl. I should say he's also not playing in the Super Bowl. But uh, Matthew Stafford, <clears throat> sure we'll talk about is it. Playing we'll in the Super Bowl, will we? 
good move. Uh, Russell Wilson. We're not going to talk about the NFC Championship. Game I mean, still? we have to. I suppose okay. it's not specifically on the rundown. Russell Wilson was named to the Pro Bowl is a replacement for him. It'll be his fifth consecutive selection and ninth overall. Uh, Dwayne Brown was also named a replacement for Trent Williams, who is playing. Is not playing in the no, Super Bowl either. Also, no, not, also played not played in the Super Bowl. His uh, his fifth Pro Bowl selection and first since 2017 when he was traded to Seattle midseason. They will be the lone two Seahawks players in action this weekend with original picks Quandre Diggs and Bobby Wagner, both sidelined by injury. All right. Congrats to Russ. Pretty oh. interesting to be replacing Tom Brady. Yeah, he was like, I'm not going to the fucking Pro Bowl. <laughs> like when I said I'm done, I mean, I'm done right now. Russell Wilson, on the other hand, always available to go to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Happy and available. I mean, if to he go gets to, to 44 years old, he might not be available to go to the Pro Bowl. I, don't, by that I, point. I get the feeling Russell Wilson at 44 is still going to be ready to play in the Pro Bowl. We thought that about Tom Brady at one point. Did we? I don't feel like Tom Brady. No, he's, he's not his, six Super Bowls. He's I don't think Pro he's as concerned no. with the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Well, I don't know that like Russell Wilson is more concerned with the Pro Bowl because of the number of Super Bowls. And just because of who Russell Wilson is. Yeah. Yes. Uh, next up, some exciting news. Surprising news. Storm legend Lauren Jackson returning to the court at age 40 to play in the L- NBL One East this season wow. with the Elbury Wodonga Bandits, her hometown team who play their home games at the Lauren Jackson wow. Sports Center. <laughs> when you play in an arena named after you. That's incredible. A baller move. Uh, okay, so tell me about, I know you've been scouting them, the Albury Wodonga <laughs> Bandits. I can't say I know. I believe this is a new league that's coming online this season. The main women's professional basketball league in Australia is the WNBL that plays in their summer or winter. They're currently playing right now. Okay. And this is more of a secondary league. Uh, this is like the XFL. <laughs> yes, I guess that would be the comparison. Okay. The USFL, which is back, right? Okay. Are they back this year? Uh, they opened the season April 9th. So Lauren has shared the story that uh, at you know the recommendation of Sue Bird, who's you know Megan Rapino, her fiance's sister, and I assume Megan is also involved in the ownership, uh, a company that produces CBD oil for use for athletes. And Lauren Jackson started taking this as pain relief because she's dealt with a lot of pain since the injuries she suffered over her career and started feeling much better getting out on the court again. And here she is wow. back playing, which, I mean, the thing about it is Lauren, as long as she has been retired, she's younger than Sue. That is pretty wild. It's very wild. There's there's also talk, like, I mean, I want to keep the expectations reasonable here, but talk of her playing in the World Cup for Australia this, this fall. Okay, I mean, if we're talking about playing in the World Cup, playing with the Albury-Wodonga Bandits. Wait, why isn't she coming back to the WNBA? There is one year when they're getting everybody together. Imagine how fucking amazing it would be if Lauren Jackson returned for Sue's last season in Seattle. Come on! I agree, that would be amazing. Uh, I I think being that far removed from Australia for that period of time is probably not not what she's planning she at this point. She come in for half the season. Like, come on. We'll pass that along. Are, are you willing to start the rumors here on this very Pelton cast no. that there's chatter around Lauren Jackson playing for the Storm I'm in not, the 2022 season? That, no. No. Wow. Got to be responsible as a journalist here. <laughs> okay. Well, this last dance type situation that they're getting together, I will tell you that would be a wrinkle. It would for sure be a wrinkle. You have to pull her jersey down from the rafters. They didn't unname the arena after her. The jersey could stay in the rafters. Fair. All right, next up, 
We'll we'll talk plenty more, of course, about the storms off season and this last dance concept later. That was out of nowhere. I was really not expecting that one. You got Ken Griffey Jr. on retiring on here too. <laughs> no, that's that's the only unretirement on the on the notes. Uh, next up, Clint Dempsey was elected to the National Soccer Hall of Fame. So, congrats to the former Sounder legend. Uh, staying on soccer, OL Rain officially resigned. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since I've gotten to say that. Wow. Resigned to U- it's to a U.S. women's national team players with Megan Rapino getting a new one-year deal and Rose Lavelle agreeing to a two-year contract. Uh, good news also for the NWSL as a whole with league and players agreeing to the first ever collective bargaining agreement in league history that increases minimum salaries, total compensation, and adds free agency to the league, along with other benefits and protections for players. So well-deserved in the wake of the number of NWSL scandals last year and, and long overdue as well. All right, then lastly to Terrell Brown Jr., who was named Pac-12 Men's Basketball Player of the Week for the second time this season after averaging 28 points and four assists in UW's pair of wins last weekend. There we go. Terrell Brown putting it together. Plenty more to come on that as well. And now it's time to get to a listener DM that we got. Oh, God. You know this is my favorite thing to see in the rundown. Listener email, listener DM, whatever. Oh, it's not going to be your favorite thing when you see what oh, it is. Oh, God, no. Because it also relates to the Utah men's basketball. No. And the question was, I need to uh, pull this up here. From the listener, Sean Fernandez. Uh, Kevin, loved the podcast and the prediction show was really fun. But Tristan's, uh, it's actually, it's Tristan's. Freezing cold take slash prediction on the Huskies men's basketball team has to go down as the worst prediction in podcast history. There we go. Agree? So I, I did a little research specifically on the worst of bold predictions. We've okay. Had. I mean, there's a lot of predictions over the course of the podcast, including the you say... That's the thing. But the, the reason it is a good prediction is because it was so wrong. I There's a sweet spot. Uh you saying that the Huskies had a they 99%? They had the worst loss in franchise history earlier in the year. Yes, that's not the same as going 0-20. Okay. All right, let's hear, let's hear the so, worst predictions. Again, you saying there was a 99% chance of beating Montana before last year's football season opener is not eligible for this. Was I wrong? <laughs> yes. Yes, you were. Uh, okay. Uh, back in 2014, your, one of your bold predictions was that both NBA and NHL expansion teams would be confirmed for Seattle that year. Oh, God. That was more of a wishful thinking one. This is the there, opposite of that. There was some steam. There was some steam. In 2016, you <laughs> predicted that Marco Rubio would win the presidency. <laughs> I predicted in 2017 that key arena renovation plans would stall. Okay. It was very far off. Uh you predicted in 2020 that Sue Bird would be a coach by the end of the season. <laughs> Still going strong oh my God. in 2022. And that 2020 would be Pete Carroll's last season oh. as Seahawks coach. So I don't know if you want to pick from those. <laughs> what do you think is the worst bold prediction in Pelton Cast history? Think you can judge, I, the way that you go into bold predictions is not by trying to get them right necessarily. I understand that there's a sweet spot. It's about you're taking some swings. <laughs> You're taking some pretty bold swings. You, know I mean? you gotta take you gotta take some cuts, right? And if in 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 baseball, if you get three out of ten right, you know, then you're feeling good. In bold predictions, if you get one out of ten right, 
you really should be. I mean, pretty you good. don't want to have too many of them, right? For sure. It's just that my bold predictions that are off that like Ethan Dobelair is going to play a lot, and now he's going out on loan instead. So, uh, not oh, as, yeah. Nobody brings up the Ethan Dobelair <laughs> bold prediction. It's not quite as bold. This one definitely. I mean, look, I'm happy for to be wrong here. I I read I read the curse and I read it slightly wrong. I will say. We'll talk about it in the, when we talk about the NFC Championship game. Oh, okay. How, how this curse has transformed. Wow. Because now it's personal. Oh, dear. It wasn't personal before? Oh, it's just for you. Personal for me. <laughs> oh, that could be in Coach's Corner, too. Oh. A quick reminder that the nomination form remains open for Search for Seattle's Most Seattle Person. We're still looking for more nominations for that as we continue the process. <laughs> <laughs> it's not been a robust response. I thought That's we were fine. quietly retiring Seattle's most oh. Seattle person. We're going to hang it up in the rafters and name Seattle's most Seattle person arena. Do you want to talk about Coach's Corner? Oh. <sighs> well. So last week was the week we we're going to find out, does coaching matter? And specifically, does your coaching matter? Bill Belichick against the Giants. <laughs> Seventy-three win warriors. <laughs> Sometimes, even great coaches fall. This time for me, it happened to be in week two of my fourth grade basketball coaching. What, what was the name of the team that is your? They were the Giants. Celtics. I was the Cavs. They were the Celtics. Actually, at the end of practice today, I said, can anybody hear? Because they were like, we want to say Hawks. And I was like, we're the Cavs. We were assigned the Cavs. And I was like, we all all had our hands. And I was like, can anybody here name a Cavs player that's not Luca? And Luca was like freaking out. (laughs) He he wanted to name Dean Wade so desperately. (laughs) He was like Zach Jabal listening to the podcast last (laughs) week as you were struggling with the trivia question, knowing it was Dave Holland. (laughs) Yes. Luca, Luca wanted to run through the entire Cavs roster. And what we came up with was LeBron James. Uh, <laughs> no, the answer was no, that nobody could name Aww. any current Cavs player. They were called the Celtics. And, you know, it was just nice to have the opportunity to compete. I really love my opponent for giving me the opportunity to compete. And I will say, I feel like we won like a Northwest Championship type situation. So at halftime, basically, there are 10-minute quarters. And I ha- there's 10 kids. And they have subs at five minutes. So it's like five kids go in, five minutes of the quarter. Five line kids... changes. What? Line changes. Pretty much line changes, yes. At halftime, however, I made a change in who was with one group and with the other group. Uh-huh. And in the second half, we played much better. We made a pretty we... epic comeback in the game. Final so this was better was... Than, than the Oregon UW comeback in the second half? No, I mean, the final score was 26-22. Okay. So it's not like we lost by a lot of points. And if you ask the kids, somehow they figured out that we actually won. <laughs> um, because they act, they don't keep an aggregate score. What they do is they keep score by quarter. And we won two quarters, lost one quarter, and tied another quarter. Oh. So if you look at it in that perspective, we were 2-1-1. One, and one, and that's the perspective I like to look at it at. No, but overall score, we lost 26-22. There were some kids definitely with some uh, 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 silver lining at the end of that game. But that change, we were down like 16-6 to six at halftime. And after making that change, what many are saying is one of the best coaching <laughs> changes that's happened. I mean, look, Sean McVay went to the fucking Super Bowl and challenged those plays. 
So like, when you look at in comparison to that coaching-wise that happened over the weekend, this is like the Cincinnati Bengals defense in the second half against the Chiefs. That's what I was doing out there. So by that change, we got that game much closer. And now I know that I need to, to, to make that change going forward. I was like, okay, next game, I'm going to have this player play with this team. I agree that Matthew Stafford single-handedly dragged the Rams to the Super Bowl despite Sean McVay's best efforts. God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, so so this team, also they had, like, the other team had kids that were just as tall as our kids, which I feel like was a real wake-up call for the kids on my team. Yeah. Not being totally taller than everybody else. Turns out that height matters. Um, and it was like, they were basically even. I'm curious to see what happens when we have a rematch with the Celtics. Game two with the Celtics. You, you do de- develop intense rivalries in this league with only four teams total. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How many games do you play? Uh, I don't know. Eight, probably. It's okay. not like we're playing the teams that many times, but... Well, that would be three, you know, for so- two of them. Uh, but, you know, the, the kids, they went out there and they competed their hardest. And that's all that really matters. Uh, you know, I don't... It doesn't matter to me whether they win or lose, you know? But also after that... <clears throat> We had a pretty intense practice after they lost. Because by I was pretty like, intense practice, you mean you played a lot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to get out there and show them what's what. Oh dear. No, I was just like, at at practice happened earlier today, and there were kids like, like turning around and just firing the ball. I'm like, we could get layups on every single play. If I see anybody shooting a three, I don't even know if they award three points for threes, but I do not want to see that. Uh-huh. And if I see anybody turning around and just heaving the ball. Toward, toward the hoop without even looking, I'm going to be annoyed. So we did a lot of practice where we did three and two on offense. And it was just like, I want to see layups. And then they would like, ha- they'd get in these horrible situations when it's three on two. And I'm like, there's three of you. How did you do this? So we were sort of like, you know, thinking a little bit more about spacing and moving the ball around. It was getting better. It's, I saw somebody cut, I, honest to God. Wow. Yeah. I saw somebody cut and I saw somebody hit them with the cut. So... Uh, you know, we're getting better. And that person was me, both people. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid the bad news is you're canceled because of your anti-analytics strategy. Anti-analytics? You don't like threes. But they, I don't even know if they... These kids can't hit threes. I, if I'm it, joking. There's no... You fucking analytics. If every it's, single player in the court shot 0% from three, would I you agree. still like threes? It's a joke. It's not a joke! Oh, we don't boy. joke around in my practices. Also, <laughs> I get very angry when the kids shoot the ball behind their head and they do that like they're fucking squatch at halftime before the third quarter. <laughs> and I'm like, if Rumble you're not going to be shooting a shot the during the game, I don't want to see it at practice. Oh, uh, game shots only. The classic classic NBA line. I forget who this is attributed to. Uh, the coach tells the player, I only want to see you shooting shots you'd shoot in a game. The player walks and sits over on the bench oh, and starts shooting shots from there. There we Great go. Time. I'll tell you what, though. Steph Curry's ruined the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> These kids don't know anything about fundamentals. They just want to shoot the shot behind their head as far away as possible. The thing about this that's ridiculous is you know that they didn't actually weren't children in the 1990s. We just wanted to shoot jumpers too. It's not like people were working on post moves when they were kids <laughs> in 1990s. Hacking each other. Really, some of these games are a testament to the 1990s because they'd be swiping at each other. <laughs> like the way that the kids hit each other in practice, I'm just like, good God, the physicality. They're like the bad boys pistons out there. And they clog the paint just like the bad boys pistons. Wow. Except for the one kid who shoots threes. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Dumars. Anything else from Coach's Corner? 
uh, <clears throat> oh, the refereeing in the in the little kids game. You know, I mentioned last week I was going to have a conversation with the league, Pete Carroll style, and the refereeing was top notch. Wow, at the game. Excellent. Yeah, I swear to God, this was like, uh, uh, I don't know who's an NFL referee that we like. Do we, do we, we like Sean Hockley, right? I, I, I like Sean Hockley. I don't know. I don't... People complain about like, oh, he takes too long to explain stuff. Like, yeah, I want the information. Oh, the drama of Sean Hockley when they called the personal foul after the ball hit the ground? No, but that was spot on because you don't want the people However, getting excited. <laughs> getting false enthusiasm. False enthusiasm. Yeah. It's like the game is the game is not over. You might think the game is over. The game is not over. It is kind of funny when people complain about that. It's just like the whole thing is a performance for television, right? Like there's no... Exactly. That's why I... Robots. Like the idea that people want robot umpires in baseball. It's just like, this is why your sport is dying, dog. The robot umpires are why baseball is bad. Apparently the, the, the you know automated umpiring, not that good. Oh, really? The robo umpires can't even get it either? Yeah. Can you imagine Lou Pinella throwing his hat at a robo umpire? <laughs> Yes, Kicking actually, I can. I can very much imagine that. It costs hundreds of thousands. Someone of photoshopped that. Um, any, anyway, the refereeing was phenomenal, though. I went, I went up to the ref after the game, and I was like, "That was a great game." Wow. Yeah. Look at you. Because you know me and refs, we just get along. What a good sport. Yeah. I'm, I'm the worst person on the bench. <laughs> what if you keep standing up or what? No, no, I don't, I don't keep standing up. I'm just like constantly like waving my arms, but I didn't, I didn't do it this week. I thought the referee. On the whole, pretty solid. Okay. Yeah, it's better than any college Pac-12 college basketball game I've seen. <clears throat> now, something happened last week that we needed to talk about on this podcast. There was a, a bit of a controversy. His third Pelton brother, Mike Sean Nugar, who was on this podcast last week, tweeted in support of Ranch, in support of DK Metcalf, right? Was it Nick Ballore who's, who... No, DK was pro was ranch. Nick, Nick Ballore. Nick Ballore was, was anti-ranch. Uh, and then he, he posted about getting it when he went to KFC because I believe he said his grandmother likes it or his mom. Mike Sean gets ranch at KFC. He got it there. Because he went to KFC because of that, but he likes ranch generally. And someone replied in the comments that Izell's barbecue ranch is the condiment to go, go with. And I've been to Izell's many times over my life. Had no idea, was completely unaware that there was such a condiment as barbecue ranch on the menu there. So you, being the uh, explorer that you are, <laughs> went out on Sunday <laughs> and got his hells and got barbecue ranch. Tell us how it was. Uh, okay, so here, here's why you might not have seen it. I, I didn't know it existed either. I went through uh, on the Azell's website, pre-ordered on the Azell's website. Highly recommend Picked it up, hot and fresh, phenomenal. I gotta say, this was some of the best Azels I've had in a long time. And so, what what you do? I got a pound of spicy strips, ate them all myself, ate the entire thing myself in one car ride while talking to you. Is one does two rolls, one pound of spicy strips, just straight to the gut. And <laughs> uh, I started getting getting a little full by the end. Anyway, so what you need to do? It's like you can choose two sides. When you're getting the spicy strips, barbecue ranch is not one of the side options. It's under the like additional sides. Oh, interesting. Because you have to pay 50 cents more for it. Ah. So it wasn't there. And I was just like, this is fucking bullshit. There's no barbecue ranch. What the hell are you talking about at Johnny Banzel? 
<clears throat> you know? I mean, I saw I pointed it out to you on the website before you went to order it, didn't you? Didn't well, I, I don't know. Maybe I thought maybe like this particular results didn't have it. I see. <clears throat> so I got two condiments. Like you still need to, to click through to the next thing. You still need to click two different condiments. So I did barbecue sauce and honey mustard and did the barbecue ranch. I well, ate all three of them. What are you, royalty? <laughs> you have to click. You have to click two I to see. get the barbecue I ranch. See. I couldn't just like not. I mean, the honey one. mustard is also top notch. Yet they have a new honey mustard now. Do they? A new brand of Ken's honey mustard is what they have now. Huh. I got all oh, still phenomenal. They okay. have sweet baby Ray's barbecue sauce now in the little cup. I like that, excellent. Barbecue ranch is pretty good. It, it kind of not not life altering though. I don't think I would say it's life-altering. I'm not sure if I really like ranch that much with the spicy strips. It was good, though. Like, I would get it again, for okay. sure. It, it, it was just like, of the three sauces, I'm always... I just really like the honey mustard. The honey mustard is quite good. It's well, good to know that it exists, though. Exactly. To have that option. <clears throat> Should we get to Seattle sports? Let's start with the Kraken. Who, uh, uh, what? Are Coach's Corner not Seattle sports? <laughs> That's Renton Sports. Renton Sports. Hyper local. <laughs> Hyper local. Uh, Kraken heading towards the NHL All Star break. Got an overtime win, the first in franchise history last Thursday at Pittsburgh, coming up with the equalizing goal late in the third period and then seeing Adam Larson score their first ever goal in overtime to get the 2 1 win against the Penguins. Uh, Sunday and Tuesday, similar scripts at New York against the Rangers and at Boston. Uh, in the, in on Sunday it was a very late tying goal from Yanni Gord with 108 left in regulation. But then the Rangers got the winner barely 30 seconds later to avoid overtime. Another comeback turned sour on Tuesday. Kraken got two goals in the third period to tie the game before Boston scored the winner there midway through the final period. But Kraken definitely competitive. They'll wrap up this pre All Star road trip Wednesday against the New York Islanders in a game that was postponed from Saturday because of the snowstorm in New York City and on the East Coast on Saturday. Uh, Sounders news. Brad Smith was traded to DC United for uh, 750000 general allocation money. Smith made 49 starts and 63 appearances for the Sounders across four seasons, helping them win MLS Cup in 2019 as their starting left back. As we mentioned, Nuhu will return to left back this season with the shift back to a four-man back line, and the Sounders felt covered at the position with Jimmy Madronda for depth. Trade also freed up salary space in an international spot, and they're adding another international spot with Joao Paulo getting a green card. That allowed them to trade one of their international spots to FC Dallas for another 250000 general allocation money. One what are they going to do with all that general allocation money? Uh, probably buy down some salaries. Oh, yeah, fun. Just, fun stuff. Just make sure they stay cap compliant. One player they will not be acquiring with that allocation money is Federal Way native DeAndre Yedlin, who's Hello. returning to MLS with <clears throat> Inter-Miami. The former Sounder left for Tottenham after the 2014 MLS season at age 21 and also played for Sunderland Newcastle in England before spending the last year with Galatasaray in Turkey. Yedlin reunites with former Sounders sporting director Chris Henderson, who now holds the same role as well as chief soccer officer for Miami. Do, do you have a sense of where DeAndre Yedlin sits? Like, was he Galatasaray? Galat Galatasaray. Galatasaray is a very good club. They're right. in Turkey, right? Which is the yeah. secondary league, but one of the best clubs outside of the the main leagues in Europe. Yeah. Right. Was he playing much for them? 
that's why he's not currently playing for them. I don't think he was playing a ton. I mean, obviously they were interested in him, and I think he played more last season, but he kind of fallen out of favor. He this just year. never really developed in the way that people were excited about him developing back in. 2014? Yeah. It's really a long time. I've forgotten how long it's been since DeAndre Yedlin played for the Sounders. It feels like it was last year. I don't know if it's a, I'd say it feels like it was last year. There was like a whole pandemic, year. like three years just went away. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely if the hopes were that, you know, this guy would be a top flight European right back, then no, those hopes were not realized. But, you know, continues to be a part of the U.S. men's national team set up and continue like he'll be good for mls yeah yeah uh sanders played their first match of 2022 against portland last thursday a scoreless draw had a couple of scrimmages against colorado on tuesday morning so uh and then now heading home they were in arizona training for the past week now heading back to seattle to continue their lead up to the 2022 season which is gonna be on us before you know it oh my god That's why it seems so long, because there are so short off-seasons in MLS. Now let's talk about the Seattle Storm off-season. As WNBA free agency opened for business on Tuesday, already plenty of reports, including one from Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports on Monday night, that Brianna Stewart will be signing a one-year Supermax deal to return to the Storm. Oh, man. First, I'm happy about Brianna Stewart returning the Storm and Lauren Jackson, apparently. Seems like there are rumors. But, like... The... You can't do that when I'm taking a drink. I nearly spit it out. The... <laughs> but uh, I was kind of excited about the all-time worst decisions in Seattle sports history. Oh, no, come on, man. <laughs> like, to have that be a conversation, this be up there with all-time worst decisions... You're talking about, first off, 99% chance of victory against Montana. Like, why should why should I be the one who takes the L you know for that? And not I Jimmy the, Lake, the no-talent-ass well, clown. Jimmy Lake, is, he's the one who sucks. This is overly harsh. But, like, I gave them... It's an office space reference. I, I'm a, I will wear it's not like actually a Jimmy Lake. But it's just like... You could have chosen any... He lost to Montana, but it was me who was wrong. Because it should have been a ninety-seven arrogance. I think I was. If I, I might have been at ninety-five. I can't remember for sure, but I might have been at ninety even. That is way too. It was the worst loss in Husky football history. Uh, yeah, but that happens all the time. It was. It, I don't know if it was the worst loss. It was probably. Duh! I mean, the worst loss in Husky football history happens all the time, and Husky basketball history. Well, but no, the team's we obviously going to go six and three in their first nine games in the Pac-12. We definitely saw that loss to Northern Illinois coming. Just because, whatever. We did see it. I mean, I've seen losses to St. Martin's coming, but like, <laughs> all right, we're getting far afield though. Okay. Anyway, so you were you were hoping for one of the worst decisions I, in Seattle I, I sports? Hoping for it. But I was fun. I was excited to go through the worst decisions in Seattle sports history. It was definitely going to be on the list. Well, Remember on this very podcast, you argued that the Seahawks should not put in a waiver claim for Super Bowl participant Odell Beckham Jr. Because I was wrong. He wouldn't want to be here. <laughs> well, sometimes there's value in letting people choose and make the decision for themselves, and then having the fucking Rams be in the Super Bowl. And that's what the storm did with Jewel Lloyd. There we go who, even though she was their core player, they apparently allowed her to take visits with other teams, including the New York Liberty, who also Brianna Stewart visited with. 
but yet Jewel Lloyd decided to stay and re-sign a two-year deal. And the complication of that is, so the, if you're a core player and you re-sign with the team, you remain the core player as long as that contract lasts. Oh. <laughs> so she's going to be the core player next wow. year. Wow. Brianna Stewart will be an unrestricted free agent again wow. next year, okay. provided she this doesn't might still sign. be up there with bad decisions. Here we go. There's a chance. So it'll be very interesting to hear what the people involved have to say about this. But when you say the last dance, it, there's definitely a real possibility that it is the last dance. I mean, look, even if Stewart is cord, if she wants to play somewhere else, she has the leverage to get a trade there. Uh-huh. But... In this case, you would potentially lose her for nothing. So Jewel Lloyd chose to sign a two-year deal, or how did that conversation look? Again, we don't know exactly what the particulars of that conversation were, but you know, the, super, the, the core designation just guarantees you a one-year Supermax deal. So the Storm could have stuck with just that offer and left that core designation open next year. Because I was thinking when that happened, I was like, okay, Brianna Stewart signed a one-year deal, but like, they'll just core her next year. But alas. Wow. So it's, All right. We're, we're setting up for a spicy 2022 season right. for the Mark Storm. Mark your calendars. We're going to see what happens with Lauren Jackson after that season. <laughs> She'll be an unrestricted free agent, too. <laughs> Unless she signs a multi-year deal to come back to the team this year. Multi-year deal. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, things go well with the Wodonga Wombats or whatever. Albury Wodonga Bandits. <laughs> Bandits. So the ESPN2 had the uh, first ever WNBA free agency special this afternoon. There Holly Rowe was on there and, and dropping some information and sort of kind of confirmed what we were all thinking that, you know, Stewart wanted to leave her options open, was intrigued by the meeting with New York. The other thing that Holly Rowe mentioned is that so starting next in 2023, the following season, the WNBA will start enforcing a rule that players who aren't back for the, for the start of the regular season will apparently be suspended the entire season. Why? Because they want players to prioritize playing in the WNBA over their international teams that pay them way more money. They should prioritize paying the fucking players. Are you kidding? Do I have to get on this now as a thing? I mean, this is something, it's a collectively bargain. This is something the players agreed to. Players, you know, commit, yeah, negotiating kind of committee was super prominently have? involved. Just because they agreed to something doesn't mean that it's a good rule. Well, it didn't exist before, so I don't, I don't know that they needed to agree to it. They... They traded it off for some of the other benefits that they got in this CBA. Now, people probably paid more attention to those benefits and not enough to this uh-huh. because they were praising how great it was for the players. Because I, I saw some chatter around uh, 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 Becky Hammond yes, is coming back as a WNBA coach and getting paid a million plus. That's the report. I think Mark Stein uh, had that of Substack. Of what is Mark the Stein's. max salary for a player in the WNBA? During as far as your base salary, it's two hundred and twenty-eight thousand. That's a million per year for Becky Hammond. Yes. What kind of league has the players getting paid a quarter of what a coach has played? Paid. I thought it was. I always have thought this is the strongest argument for WNBA players, much more so than comparisons to players in other leagues, because the you know the idea that WNBA revenues just don't support these large salaries for players is shot down by the fact that they're willing to pay so much for coaches. Instantly. So. Are co- coaches throughout the league are consistently paid more than players? I would suspect, I mean, I, I, I'm not privy to coaching salaries. That's not I would public suspect, information? No, no. I would suspect that every coach in the league is paid more than the maximum salary. 
What the hell? I mean, that's just kind of the nature of it. Where that's not capped. Who is running the WNBA? Mark Emmert? Like, uh, what is happening here? How did that not get negotiated for the players? I mean, I don't know exactly how you negotiate that, but I do think that is a, a strong leverage point for PR. I mean, the, the it's better when it's someone like Becky Hammond, who is someone who played in the league for lower back when but salaries one, were lower. It's one person. It's not like you can't be aspirationally and be like, "Wow, if I'm a good enough WNBA basketball player, maybe someday I'll be a coach." That is a ridiculous way to look at it. It's better than it could be. Pay the players. At least they're paid something, but now you're talking about, uh, on the flip side, is that they're not able to go. Not only are they getting paid. Well, the hope is that basically international leagues will adjust to this and move their seasons earlier, like to finish earlier. Because there is really no reason that the international seasons have to go as long as they do. It's just kind of because. Why, why, if those leagues are paying the players more? Like, does the WMA matter more inherently? It does to us because we're in the United States. But, like, there's a hint of xenophobia thrown in there, too. Well, I mean, it, it, and that's the reason that players play here for less money, even instead of taking their off-season, where their winter's off, is, or their summer's off, I should say, do, is because of the fact that it's in the U.S. Do you think there's a chance that we're about to see WNBA salaries explode at some point? Well, the CBA is not up for a number of years here. So, no, I don't think so. I mean, there are some mechanisms they've they've put in additional time off bonuses that allow teams to pay players who don't play internationally during the offseason. I, I, the WNBA is doing a lot of fucked up stuff on the league level that just skates under the radar, in, including the stuff around the pandemic last year, right, for players. Wasn't mm -hmm. there, who was it who didn't want to play? And they were like, nope, you have to. No, I mean, there was an issue two years ago where Elena Deladon yes. wasn't medically excused yes. from the wobble uh, because of the fact that the conclusion of independent doctors was that her Lyme disease was not a co-founding, you know, uh, risk factor for uh, COVID-19. But she got all her money. Okay, I mean, good. In the end, she got her money? Yeah. Okay. So... <clears throat> I'm telling you right now, the WNBA is getting away with things that other leagues wouldn't necessarily get away with. I mean, I mean, the bar, the bar is set real low for the WNBA. That's how I'll put that. But attention on the league is definitely growing. For sure. I mean, this free agency period has been much more thrilling. I mean, Chris Haynes' tweets have gotten Honestly, a lot of attention. it would have been better for the league if Brianna Stewart signed with New York. <laughs> well, it wouldn't have been worse. <laughs> well, just wait till next offseason. I, I mean, I do feel like the interest around the league is growing pretty rapidly, though. Just like from seeing it in people that I know. Yeah, that's awesome. It's been it's so much more of a discussion point. And part of it is that there's a lot more reporting. We'll we'll get to this from herhoopstats.com and, and my my colleague Richard Cohen of salaries. And that allows us to do more in-depth free agent analysis and kind of make this a bigger factor than it has been in the past. It was really an afterthought in past years. None of this got reported. You didn't really know. WNBA salaries? Yeah. So... Is there any chatter on expanding the league or...? Definitely. Uh, finding the right ownership groups is the challenge. Okay. But there are, there are markets out there that are interested. There's a group in Oakland that's trying to get into the league and one in Nashville as well. There's no, no teams in the Bay Area? 
No teams in the Bay. There's the Sparks in LA, and that's it in California. Correct. Kind the Monarchs strange. were previously in Sacramento in North Cal. North Cal. I mean, it's it's interesting because you look at NBA ownership, right? And the minimum that you would have to pay for an NBA team is two billion, right? Yep. Probably even more. Maybe maybe one and a half for a smaller market team, but probably not. It feels like if you're a person who maybe doesn't want to spend a billion plus dollars, but wants to own a professional sports franchise and has a spare hundred, few hundred million dollars laying around, like this is a really natural way to get into it. <laughs> Obviously, fucking soccer teams keep popping up left and right. Shouts to uh, FC Ballard. <laughs> not quite on that scale you're, you're taking out mls expansion are they did they get added to the mls i wouldn't not be surprised MLS. no we haven't expanded to tacoma yet as you've advocated for in the i'm past. i'm so into it olympia tacoma whatever they need playing the evergreen campus i mean could be a good play for an nba player who wants ownership like a lot of nba players have invested in nbl teams in australia this would be an interesting area to invest in they've invested in NBL teams in Australia? Yeah. Like a, the men's NBL teams. Oh, uh, fuck that. Uh, I don't know why the names aren't coming to me immediately, but there's just a variety of like guys who played in the 2000s. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't like that at all. <laughs> Investing in WNBA? Well, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how realistic that opportunity has been. You've got to have a right combination of things. It's not just ownership. It's the market, the Let's arena, KD all those there. things. Is there still a team in Washington? There is still a team in D.C. Yes. Okay. Let's get freaking KD in there, though, as a WNBA owner. All right, let's. So, the other thing we should talk about is look, I don't think that just because Brianna Stewart signed a one year deal means that she's automatically leaving next year. The comparison I made in the, uh, the story I wrote for ESPN.com today was so back in 2009, our, our friend Lauren Jackson, who's coming back to the team. Uh huh. There we go. Finally heard it here from ESPN's Kevin Pelton. I know. She became an unrestricted free agent because that year, Sue Bird, similar to Jewel Lloyd next year, was still on the core designation. And, like, legitimately, I thought for sure she was going to go to Phoenix, huh. who was loaded. They won the championship that year without her. Mm-hmm. Probably like, they would have, it would have been Kevin Durant joining the Warriors, basically. Because huh. they had Tarasi and Cappy Pondexter and Penny Taylor. Uh, instead, like Storm put on the full court pitch, uh, sent over, you know, a binder of fan emails, a video. what a full court pitch looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Mixing some metaphors at this point. Uh, and Lauren decided. Look at your all time worst mixed metaphors. Wow. Lauren decided. (laughs) He's still very bitter about this. Lauren decided to (laughs) resign with the team. Won the championship in 2010, <laughs> finished her career having played only for the Storm. So, like, look, sometimes the process of making a decision reminds you of why you want to stay someplace. Sue Bird also went through something like this later in her career when she decided to stay instead of going back to New York, her native New York and stuck out the rebuild. And lo and behold, here come Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart, and she wins two more championships, and she's obviously going to finish her career in Seattle. Although. Are- she is not officially re-signed yet. She's going to get traded at the deadline. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not even in the mock WNBA trade deadline. Uh, she'll sign last to see whether she needs to take a discount. Holly Rowe confirmed that on the free agency special. On, uh, are, are the New York Liberty similar to the Knicks where they've just never been good? Uh, no, they've been good for periods. They've never won a title Ever. in all these years. Yeah. Since Rebecca Lobo and everything? I mean, they were in the finals against Houston many years in the early years. But wow. let me tell you, Houston always won those. 
It is pretty Knicks-like. Well, they don't, they're not affiliated with the Knicks anymore. But still, I'm just saying in general. Yes. Now they're affiliated with the Nets and the Joe Sy and Clara Sy, the owners of the Nets, have been investing a lot resource-wise in the Liberty, and it seems to be reflected in the interest that Stewie and Joel Lloyd had in them. We're all moving to Brooklyn. <laughs> it's, it's the hipster way. So the other deal the story made official on Tuesday besides Joel Lloyd's was with Senator Mercedes Russell, who re-signed for a flat 160000 a year for the next three years, is a restricted free agent, according to Richard Cohen. At that figure, it's unlikely the Storm is going to be able to bring in any of the big names that were considered possibilities this season. Uh, Holly Rowe mentioned on ESPN that Tina Charles is expected to sign with Phoenix, and the Mercury are going to be kind of loaded, hmm. adding her. Who do the Mercury have right now? They have, this will be Taurasi in all likelihood her final season. Wow. Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird are going to have the, like... Yeah, well, Sylvia Fallis has announced it's her final season. Wow. So it's like three legendary players. These players were all in the top, I want to say, 15 of my all-time WNBA championships added, maybe even higher than that. And they're all going to probably play their last season at the same time. Huh. Uh, and, and Griner, and they made the finals last year, lost to Chicago in five games. So Charles would be a pretty incredible... She would have to take a pretty huge discount, and they have to make some trades too. <laughs> so we're going to see how they actually fit all that under the cap, but that's a pretty loaded-looking team. Uh, Chantel Jennings of The Athletic had reported that the Storm were in the final two for unrestricted free agent Stephanie Dolson, who is another center and played two years with Brianna Stewart at UConn, but she signed with the New York Liberty instead. That did make me kind of worried about Stewie because one of my theories was maybe the meeting with the Liberty was to like convince the Storm to sign Stephanie Dolson, but I guess that wasn't the case. But it, next year, Brianna Stewart was like, I'll see you in New York. Well, uh, we talked last week about the women's basketball 24-7 report. The Storm will sign Brianna January. That was later confirmed by Christina Williams of Girls Talk Sports TV and, and has been confirmed subsequently by many others. So definitely that's going to happen, although it isn't official yet. And then one other thing to keep your eye on for 2023. During that ESPN show, Holly Rowe reported the Chicago Sky's offer to Courtney Vandersloot was, quote, disrespectful. Wow. And her international club, UMMC Ekaterinburg, is attempting to pay Vandersloot to sit out the 2022 season, as they have previously done with Diana Taurasi back in 2015, the year after Phoenix won its most recent championship. That would hypothetically leave the Kent Native and Gonzaga product an unrestricted free agent in 2023. Wow. And her we're wife... F- we're flipping Brianna Stewart for Courtney Vandersloot. I, I mean, I don't know we're flipping them, but there's been a lot of thought that, like, Sue Bird's long-term replacement is Courtney Vandersloot. She's a guard? She's a point guard. Uh, this is this is one situation where I, where I will allow for a Gonzaga player. There you go. And uh, also making it more feasible, like, one of the... Like, people thought about this this offseason, but basically, Joel Lloyd probably would have had to leave for that to make sense. Uh-huh. But also, the other... Uh, Factor in this is that Courtney Vandersloot has played with her wife, Allie Quigley, in Chicago, who is apparently already committed to play her final season with the Sky. She hasn't officially re-signed, but then we'll, she will also retire, so you wouldn't necessarily have to sign both of them uh, in that scenario. Have the cap room for both of them. I see. Is there a big age difference between them? Uh, Quigley's a couple, a few years older. Isn't yeah. Courtney Vandersloot like, a young player? Am I wrong? No, she's like 32. Oh, really? I thought she was very young. No, no. I mean, she's established in the way. What high school were we talking? Kentwood. Mm-hmm. If you would have said Kentridge, that might have that might have been more interesting. Oh, Josh Smith, though. Yes. Anybody else from Kentwood? Not off the top of my head. All right. I'm sure there are. 
That's, All right. I feel like that's the most extensive offseason for the Storm that we've ever done. Oh, for sure. I mean, sh- shit's happening. I'm kind of excited about getting into this. Yeah. I feel, I feel like this is the shit. Here's what I'll say. The NBA is a sport didn't necessarily get better. In fact, maybe the on-the-court basketball is worse than it's been at previous times, right? Because, like, say what you will about shooting threes. Like, it's a great strategy. But also, sometimes you're watching basketball and you're just like, okay, I get it. (laughs) Like, I understand every standing around you're shooting threes. Got it. But, like, the shit that made the NBA such an exciting sport is everything else. The culture. Right? People care more. It's, It's, I feel like it's honestly the total opposite of football, where it's like, the football games, you're like, damn, these games are great. And then you hear everything else about football, and you're like, wow, I hate all of this. Right? Yep. They're kind of polar opposites. But the transactional nature of the NBA, which I feel like they've kind of lost recently. You know, this trade deadline's kind of hurting them. Adam Silver better work on getting every single star player to change teams this offseason. <laughs> right? But that's the thing about, like, Kevin Durant is uh, so good. And if you've NBA. heard the James Harden rumors. Okay, good, good. We're back. For the WNBA to have rumors about big-name players changing teams, right? Because it felt like there was a long generation where it's like you have Sue and Diana and Lauren Jackson, these players who played for the same team forever. Ultimately, that's bad for the league. What is good for the league is rumors and people talking about it. That's what get that's what gets the clicks. That's what gets people like excited about the league more, I think, than it is even the sport itself. Because again, you know, most NBA games are just like I don't whatever, right? Yeah. But but the all I mean, look, I make a living writing primarily about about transactions. transactions. You don't need to inform me of this. I do a mock trade deadline. That pe- we spend four hours doing a mock trade deadline that people listen to. I'm, I'm saying for the league, I think I think this shit is pretty exciting. That I agree. that Brianna Stewart took the fear that people felt in their hearts about Brianna Stewart, and quite frankly, the fact that it was Chris Haynes, an NBA newsbreaker, that reported it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. People thought that it was the dingers that drew people there, but it's not. It's the transactions. <laughs> it is. It's true, right? Everybody wants to be a, a GM. Or in your case, a coach. I don't think there's any want about it. And, and that's really the piece uh, <laughs> about the, Be- the Becky Hammond salary. That's the one place that I really understand. <laughs> You're like, I'm worth a million. <laughs> Certainly four times whenever the players are getting played in your, paid in your league. I agree. That is cor- a correct value for you. All of us are getting paid zero. <laughs> How much are the players, players, the kids paying to play in the league? <laughs> you should have to it. pay four times that. They got pretty nice looking jerseys. Uh, quick note on, we're getting close to UW softball season. That's going to be on the rundown soon, but we ha- do have an update that the Pac-12 will begin a softball tournament in 2023. Right. Not this season, but coming next year. Uh, many, many conferences do that already, so the, the Pac-12 will follow soon. All right, UW women's basketball. Well, another winless weekend for UW women's basketball as they played Washington State. Came as close as they've gotten to a Pac-12 win on Friday uh, when they went 6 of 21 at the free throw line, including four misses in the final minute of regulation as Washington State rallied to force overtime with a late three-pointer, then missed a pair down two in the final 20 seconds of overtime and lost 60 to 56. They led in the third quarter at Heckett on Sunday, but the visiting Cougs outscored them 23-8 the rest of the way. Huskies this weekend playing the Mountain Schools, Utah and Colorado. 
Uh, Utah has a reasonable chance for a win. Colorado got off to a really hot start, but uh, has struggled lately, including a loss at Utah as they played a home-and-home last weekend. Utah men's basketball, 6-3 and three in non-conference play after sweeping said Mountain Schools, a pair of thrillers at Heckhead, one of which I attended, the first UW men's basketball game I've attended since February 2020. That's how you know this shit is getting real. <laughs> I thought about it too. You did. I'm excited you about talk me into it. men's basketball. I mean, it wasn't that, it's not getting that real because I was able to go and sit in a buffer zone of like 25 feet of pe- no people around me in any direction, which certainly made me feel better. In the midst of the late Omicron wave? There's still a pandemic. Yes. <laughs> it's getting real with the team. It's also getting real with the pandemic. Well, real. thankfully it's getting less real, but uh, that's you know a gradual process. Uh, so the Huskies were down two at halftime in that game. Used a 13-2 run across the halftime break to take the lead for good. Up 11 with six minutes left. They survived scoring just one point in that span. Aye. That's sweating how, it out. That's how this, this Husky team does it. As Terrell Brown Jr. missed two free throws on their final possession, giving Colorado a chance to tie or win, but Jabari Walker missed at the buzzer as Brown had a game-high 26 points on 10 of 17 shooting. Still a great game from Terrell Brown. And I, and I thought that second half where the defense just was stifling for a period so of time. So many steals, which they did not have on Saturday, for the record. It was really kind of fun watching it with Eddie House, like, getting kind of angry at Colorado during the game. <laughs> like, Eddie House on the broadcast being like, what are you doing doing this over and over and over again, right? They committed steals in the same ways, which might have said more about uh, Tad Boyle still, right? Yes. About Tad Boyle's Colorado team, which who knows they, if that's going to last. They did but... proceed to get thoroughly destroyed at Washington State on Sunday. They were exhausted. Um but I was looking at that Husky defense and was like, this team's kind of mean. Like, this defense is a little bit stifling that they play. And that's, look, they can't shoot, obviously. Troll Brown can score. What else they can do, I don't necessarily know. But, like, with that defense, if they're playing the zone and they're doing it and they're being aggressive, they're going to be in some games. And <laughs> Clearly. I, I thought that run in particular was pretty exciting. And it was, a, it was a fun experience to get back out to Hackad. I uh, got dicks on 45th beforehand. Damn. Always delicious. And here's what you want to know what I did at the game on what? Thursday because I went to civilian. I haven't been a civilian to, you know, bought a ticket to a, you know, and I bought it off. <laughs> As a civilian? I don't know why that's so it, it, it should be. I bought a ticket off StubHub for like $10 because uh-huh. that's, again, not, not totally back in that regard. Uh, I drank a beer. At a UW men's basketball game go. for the first time in my entire life. I don't know if I have a UW men's basketball game either. Well, you wouldn't because, I mean, they just introduced that a few years oh, ago. Actually, I, I did at the game that I went to a couple years ago. Okay. Yes, they had beers then. Yeah. I think it's a little bit. What did you drink? Uh, I had whatever the uh, Red Hook they have, the Red Hook IPA. Oh, nice. Long Hammer? Yes. Uh, how, how was the experience of being in a game in general, though? I mean, it, like, I wasn't, like, actively cheering like I would at a UW football game. For some reason, there's still, like, some Getting mental divide. people around you. <laughs> 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 you know, what, how different from a UW football game was it? 
It was Did just you a, need me there to fight with? No, it was a much more chill atmosphere. The only people that would be mad at is people that were not wearing their masks on the aisle. Yes, you could be yelling at them. I refrained. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was interesting. It's funny because like you're like, yeah, I'd really recommend it, but also I wouldn't recommend it because I need nobody there to recommend <laughs> exactly. it. Yeah. It's like I want people to be excited about it, but not too excited uh-huh. about it. We'll give it a solid five out of ten. On Saturday, with me not in attendance watching from home, the Huskies led by eight early in the second half before Utah rallied to take the lead. They forced overtime with a pair of Brown free throws with 16 seconds remaining as Booth Gotch missed at the buzzer. In the first OT, Brown again tied the game with 37 seconds remaining before committing a turnover with a chance to win on the final possession. Finally, in double OT, the Huskies got back-to-back threes from Dejon Davis and Cole Bajima to take control of the game and win at 77-73. Brown finished with 30 points, making 9 of 14 free throws. God, draw Brown. It's, he's like a fascinating figure in UW men's basketball history. The, one of the bra- graphics they played on Saturday was like the guys who have led the, the Pac-12 in scoring from UW. How many, how many have there been? It's like nobody had done it since, I want to say 73. Oh, not even through, Christian Velp. Not even, not even Christian Velp. Wow. Uh, until Andrew Andrews did it his okay. senior season, which I think is like probably the best comparison for what Terrell Brown Jr. is doing this uh-huh. year. And then Markel Fultz did it again the next year. And now Terrell Brown. Markel Fultz? He did. Really? They just, he just didn't play enough to... Well, he was like a really damn good scorer when he did play. The team was very bad, but it wasn't because Marco Fultz was bad. His year was such a strange year. It was a very strange year. It was a good reminder that, like, Marco Fultz could be the number one pick in the draft, but also, like, he actually wasn't better than Andrew Andrews was the year before when he went undrafted and played in some NBA training camps. Well, there's a difference between potential. Yeah. There's a four-year age gap or whatever. No, it's a, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, like, the ultimate example of it. Yeah. And Terrell Brown Jr. is an interesting one of that as well. I mean, like, he's a sixth-year senior. Also, Mark Fultz shouldn't have been the number one pick in the draft. Well, that ended up more complicated. I mean, I, I personally had Lonzo Ball ahead of him, but I had him as my number two pick. What about Tatum? Well, I didn't think Tatum was going to be that good. Hmm. You were right. <laughs> <laughs> Chalk that as a number, another W. <laughs> I'm not, not chalking that as a W. Uh. Well, I guess... But anyways, like Terrell Brown Jr. has had the same this, thing that the Celtics are doing often. Then he's not. A, I mean, they've played quite well lately. I didn't. I actually did end up making several trades with the Celtics, didn't I? He's having this season that's like putting in all Pac-12 first team kind of season, but he's only going to play one year at UW, so it's an interesting legacy. It's like he's a one and done guy, except that he's a six-year senior. Where was he at before? Well, Arizona, he played two years at Seattle U mm. and then started out at Shoreline Community College. Wow. So, have not, you considered him for Seattle's most Seattle person? <laughs> if not for the one year at Arizona, perhaps. <laughs> so the Huskies, again, 6-3 and three in Pac-12 play. They've been outscored in conference play. Their last two wins coming by a combined six points. It is just a very classic it's been overachieving season. Well, your Celtics are up to the ninth seed. God, the Hawks are the 10th seed, too. Jesus Christ. Look at their point differential, though. <clears throat> Huskies this weekend head to face the Bay Area schools. 
uh, having beaten both of those teams at home three weeks ago. is That was part of an eight-game losing streak for Cal, which had previously started conference play two and one. Still ranks better than UW and Ken Palm. <laughs> We're past Ken Palm. And oh, wow, we transcend Ken Palm. Yeah. Uh, Stanford is 6-4, and four, having upset USC last weekend at the Galen Center before being blown out at UCLA. Also won the Battle of the Bay between these two teams on Tuesday night in a postponed game. All right. So a chance for the Huskies to get a win here. Much more likely that they go 0-2 than 2-0 going out on the road. I mean, I told you the Cal rate's better on Ken Palm. And you told me you don't care about Ken Palm. I mean, bring it on, right? We're looking at 8-3 and three in the Pac-12 to start out the Pac-12. What day are these games? That's Thursday at Cal on 8 p.m. starts. Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m. start at Stanford <sighs> with no football. All right, okay. I guess it's not opposite football. Uh, except for the Pro Bowl. I don't know what time. I have no idea what time the Pro Bowl That's is. That's okay. But I, unlike Russell Wilson, am not interested in the Pro Bowl. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> one one notable difference between you and Russell Wilson <laughs> is you're interested in the Pro Bowl. Uh, I still think this has been a really impressive year, start to the year. <laughs> it's I like mean, Peggy Hill. <laughs> like, I, for one, think the 6-3 and three start for a team that I said wouldn't win a game has been an impressive start to the year. <laughs> I mean, the thing we should probably discuss In is, my opinion, 6-3 and three is better than 0-9. The listener Noah Cohen, third felt brother Noah Cohen, brought up on Twitter, like, is this an example of the Rashad Penny element of the Kraken curse where you get your hopes up only to dash them? Which actually hasn't happened yet with Rashad Penny, but that was your theory, as you'll recall. And I would say, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to think, like, that this level of play can't be sustainable for you to men's basketball. I mean, obviously, getting lucky and winning all these close games isn't sustainable. But like they can be a competitive team in Pac-12 games. The the zone obviously works really well when you've got the right players in it. We've seen that, you know, two years ago with Jaden McDaniels and Isaiah Stewart. Before that, with Matisse Thibel. Uh The big issue for the Huskies under Mike Hopkins has been their inability to recruit. That's what I was going to say. State. They brought all these guys back this year. I think that's going to send a message to some players that, hey, this is actually a good place to play if you're from Seattle. They got a commitment from a four-star Garfield guard for next year. Hello. So that's that? exciting. <clears throat> I do not know their name off the top of my head. They're not. You know. Jackson Graham. Oh, no, 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 not. Garfield. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was looking at the coaching staff, and it was kind of like, I mean, you take Mike Hopkins out of it. You see Coupon. You see Will Conroy. I thought, is there another Husky legend on the coaching staff? No, the third assistant oh, coach is Y. King Jones. Jones. Yes. It's a very, it, I guess I was going to say it's a very experienced coaching staff. But you see Y. King Jones as somebody who has been a Pac-12 head coach. Yeah. You see Will Conroy, who probably will be a head coach somewhere at some point soon. And you see Coupon, you're like, yeah, like I'd go play for those dudes. Right. And I think, you know, it probably took Hopkins a certain amount of time to establish ties locally in the same way that he had, obviously, in the upstate New York region. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, we saw how powerful those like ties by Hopkins had. in Niagara. <laughs> so now he's had some time to set down those same roots in Seattle, and hopefully that will, you know, bear fruit recruiting-wise. And I, I don't think there's any reason that the Huskies can't be successful with Mike Hopkins as head coach. He was, after all, coach of the year two years in a row to start his career. <laughs> 
It's pretty wild. <laughs> we went really quickly from that to talking about Todd Golden. They they have to they have to be able to recruit though, and and bring these players back. And I do just For sure. I get the sense. Okay, so here's here's what I'll say about the Rashad Penny thing. This is the the thought that I had about it. How we feel right now about UW men's basketball. Think about how the 49ers think about Jimmy Garoppolo and how they thought about Jimmy Garoppolo last week versus how they think about Jimmy Garoppolo this week. And the most recent thing that happens in the most recent time period that happens really influences how you feel about, about a program or whatever. Like if things stay pretty steady, but like, you know, they lose like a tough game in the second round of the Pac-12 tournament. I think that's fine. But if things crater, because they could have lost a lot of these games that they won. That is correct. This six and three start isn't going to mean jack shit. Is what I'm what I'm saying. Like you can't just say that we're feeling in this way that Mike Hopkins probably should stick around as head coach as UW men's basketball, because a lot can happen between now and the end of the Pac-12 season. For I sure. Mean, think think about how we felt about Pete Carroll after the friggin' Rams loss. Versus how we felt about Pete Carroll after beating the Cardinals in the last week of the season. The last thing that happens is very important. Like, we look at the 49ers. Will they run it back with Jimmy G? Maybe. I mean, there's already reports that they're working with him to find a trade partner, aren't there? I didn't I didn't see that. But, like, Jimmy G has one drive. He takes them to the NFC Championship game. Has one drive. The previous week, it's fuck the Packers. And that next week... He commits a turnover and that drive against Aaron Donald's defense, which who amongst us would not commit a, a turnover? I mean, they got Tom Brady to retire, and then he's gone. So the last thing that happens is very important. That's that's what I'll say about this UW men's basketball team. Yeah, but I, again, I just don't think it's like <clears throat> if the Huskies bring Mike Hopkins back, they can't possibly be successful. No. Like, I don't think that's the case at all. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Uh, Corin Johnson is the name of that recruit who uh, previously was committed to San Diego State before decommitting four-star number 90 in the country per 24-7 sports composite. So right. that's a nice pickup and certainly the position of need because Terrell Brown Jr. I mean, the one disappointing aspect of this is, again, Terrell Brown Jr. has no more eligibility. Uh, you've got a number of players who have to decide whether they want to come back for a sixth year uh, Emmett, or a fifth year, I guess. Emmett Matthews, Jamal Bay being in that category. So... You know, you hope that this is like leading somewhere as opposed to just a one-off thing as well as they've played in Pac-12 play. Okay, because we're still following the future Arizona State next year's Arizona yeah, Todd State Golden, head coach. Future, future Arizona State coach Todd Golden. Uh, 72-70 lost Thursday to St. Mary's. Their second two-point home loss to the non-Gonzaga powers wow. of the West Coast Conference. We don't even want them. Led by as many as 23 before the Gales went ahead with 103 remaining and never relinquished the lead in the final seconds. Then beat Santa Clara 88-85 on Saturday in another thriller with the Broncos missing a three that would have forced overtime in the final seconds. So these these narrow losses, not great for USF's uh, NCAA tournament hopes for the first time again since, I believe, the 1980s, uh, maybe the 1990s, but hanging right now on the right side of the, uh, the bubble. So we'll continue to monitor that. Uh, you know, football update, Tony Paulina, the football network reported on Monday that Jackson Kirkland was going to withdraw his name from the NFL draft after undergoing surgery to address lingering issues from an ankle injury suffered midseason. Adam Schefter later confirmed that surgery and reported that Kirkland will petition the NCAA for restoration of his eligibility after entering the draft. So he he would have a year of eligibility, but again, it's because he entered the draft. So we'll see what the NCAA rules here. 
I, I think we will. Uh, <laughs> there's n- no way to judge how the NCAA is going to respond to this positively or negatively. It seems like a no-brainer that they would allow him to come back because why would you prefer that Jackson Kirkland, who is injured, not be able to play football for a year because of some bullshit rule? But then, you know, yep. some, some bullshit rule is kind of like that's 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 the tagline of the NCAA. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Uh, you don't have a number of commitments that UW's picked up in this last couple of weeks here. Are we saving this for signing day? Are we doing a signing day? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we need to go commit by commit on the uh, high schoolers. Like, there's just not as much data to go on as there is with college transfers where we can talk about how they've actually performed. But, uh, yeah, I mean, most notably. I was going to say, there's a pretty important commit. They picked up a recruit named Tristan. There we go. Tristan. I wonder if he gets four-star recruit. Like, this is actually a, a pretty big pickup for UW. Yes. Flipping his commitment from, was it Utah or? I don't think it was Utah. Or is Arizona? State. Yeah, Arizona State sounds right. Uh, flip from Arizona State to UW. Tristan Dunn. He's got in his photo on 247 Sports uh, uh cross earring. Looks tough as hell. Tell me this man is not going to play in the NFL. <laughs> look at that. that. That is a very safety look for some reason. I don't know why, but it just is. Uh, so they also got a commitment from uh, Javion Green, who is, they've got him listed as a safety. I thought he was a cornerback, a three-star corner, three-star defensive back. And then also in the past week, the Parker twins, Armon and Javon Parker, uh, three-star defensive tackles, uh, interior defensive linemen from Dearborn, Michigan. So I thought that was a pretty fast In one. atypical That's the, recruiting the spot. Courtney Morgan, right? Uh, well, no. Apparently, it has nothing to do with him because they weren't on Michigan's, like, they weren't on power conference radar. I still think he, he knew what was up, though. I he, the, the story is that, you know, Christian Cable wrote about this, that didn't indicate that he had anything to do with it, that they cold DM'd their position, the defensive line coach at UW. And he was like, this is intriguing. Let's check this out. Let's say that Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL, gets hired by the Minnesota Vikings. Courtney, let's say that the recruiting class at Michigan falls apart. Courtney Morgan's relationship with many of those players, do you think that puts UW in the mix? Uh, maybe. I mean, that's it's pretty far geographically, certainly. And they also just don't have that many players they can take, period. You know, they were, you know, Cohen DeBoer's math was that, you know, this class would be around 15, uh, including transfers. They're currently at, I think, 14. Okay. With, with, uh, Tristan Dunn. I'm so, so about Tristan Dunn. Let's fucking get it. I mean, look, not since Tristan Vi- Vizcaino have the Huskies had a Tristan. UW's actually had quite a few Tristans. Who else? I think there is another Tristan. Well, there was the basketball, basketball player one. named yeah. Tristan Etienne who yeah, Etienne. never actually p- appeared in a game for the team, uh, left the team prior to his first game. This kid looks tough as hell. Tristan Dunn. From Sumner, right? Yeah. Obviously, much too young to have overlapped with our cousin at Sumner, but <laughs> same program. I'm down for it. I am down for it, Tristan Dunn. I'm excited. So do you have anything else to say about the NFC Championship game? Well, I just want to talk about this curse. <clears throat> okay, so it's personal to you now, which is why the Husky men's basketball team, after you predicted that they were going to win no games, suddenly wins all their games. It's personal to you now. Okay. I'm in what? agony over here. Oh. 
after talking so much shit about the Rams every week, basically. This bunny is going crazy. Jesus Christ. Um, we may not be able to record in person because of the bunny. <laughs> People don't know my, my menagerie of animals, of exotic That's really animals. really true. <laughs> they know about the 10 to 15 children. They don't know about the menagerie of exotic <laughs> animals, though. You live far out, but it's not a farm. <laughs> Good over there? Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> it's the most active that Bunny's been. Okay. Uh, after talking so much shit about the Rams, the since the second they made the trade for Matthew Stafford. Which was one year ago last weekend, right? I felt like I was vindicated along the way throughout the entire season. And then they get the easiest route to the Super Bowl. They get the Cardinals who are falling apart. Lost to the fucking Seahawks the week beforehand. <laughs> like, you can't tell me that sure. that Cardinals team. That Cardinals team was clearly, like, dead in the water, yeah. right? The Cardinals team without DeAndre Hopkins. They played them on a Monday night. Easy. Easy victory. I don't know why playing they, them on a Monday night makes it different. Oh, come on. You knew they were going to lose at home on a there Monday night. fewer Arizona fans there than would have been otherwise. I feel like when you play a night game, you're more likely to win at home. That's because of the fact that you follow a team that plays on the West Coast, and there is strong evidence that teams that play West Coast teams that play East Coast teams tend to be far more successful in night games. Well, you know, Arizona, I don't know if daylight savings time in yeah, Arizona. Yeah, the one-hour so. difference it made a huge... <laughs> I mean, it was 8.30 p.m. They were already... Or 6.30 p.m. The they were all ready to go exhausted. to sleep. Uh, so they play a dead-in-the-water Arizona team. They play Tom Brady, who's got one foot out the door to retirement. I, you thought that was an easy game for the, the Rams? The Buccaneers, without Tristan Wirfs, no offensive line. You're telling me Aaron Donald Fair. against the best offensive lineman, one of the best offensive linemen I mean, in I the NFC. Aaron Donald would be matching a lot with an ex, the, the, a but tackle. In but general. Kind of... Uh, more, Chris, more Chris Godwin board. being out. Like, they were a beat-up Buccaneers team. That's fair. Then they play the— but You think it would have been harder if they this, would have played Green Bay? Yes. I absolutely think it would have been harder if they would have played Green Bay. Okay. The seventh seed—the Niners were the seventh seed, right? Uh, Yeah, I guess they were, weren't they? Then the seventh— Oh, seven, no, there was six seed, weren't they? Who was seventh? I thought Tampa Bay was the two. Who did Tampa Bay play? Philadelphia. Oh, God. Yeah, that's the only easier round. Sorry. <laughs> I forgot about them. Oh, my God. Wow. There were a lot of bad teams in the playoffs. And the Rams played all of them. Then they played the six-seeded 49ers, who literally needed a drive against the Rams to even make the playoffs. They get to the NFC Championship game because they have a blocked punt returned for a touchdown. Like, was there anything that the 49ers did that was impressive in that game against the Packers? They won. I yeah. will grant that they won the game. The defense was very impressive, I feel like, given the conditions. And then they play the they play the Rams and the Rams do everything they can to lose that game, and Kyle Shanahan on a fourth and two can't go for it, could not bring himself to go for it. Just a fucking embarrassment. I feel like right? they could have done some more to lose the game. It like that was it was an impressively bad coaching game between both Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. And then the Rams are in the Super Bowl. Like you could not give me an easier path to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow has to be out there defeating the Chiefs at home. Like the 
the lengths that the Bengals went to, they defeat the number one seed Tennessee Titans, knock them off. Yeah, I'm not disputing that the Bengals had a harder run to the Super Bowl. I the don't Rams think that's, the, I don't think the, that's the only actual Super Bowl path in the history of sports. Is it turns out, did you know this? Some teams actually get to the Super Bowl by playing only two games, both at home. They get the bye, and then they only have to play. I don't know what. It's technically happened before in the history of the NFL. I seriously don't. I feel like if you replayed this postseason like a thousand times, this particular outcome was like this was not popping up that often, these two teams. Do you you know how many times in Jared Goff's playoff career, which included going to a Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. he had more passing yards in a game than Matthew Stafford had on Sunday in this game that you said was terrible? Passing yards in a game? That's what we're judging? Okay, I mean, yards per attempt. I think he had more one more yards per attempt one time. It was against your Seattle Seahawks. Oh, God. Last year? Yeah. Oh, God. I'm pretty sure that was the, the best playoff game of Jerry okay. Goff's career. Well, anyway, so the Rams just waltz to the Super Bowl, right? The easiest path you could possibly have to the Super Bowl, basically. And then, Super Bowl Sunday exists they are playing at home in los angeles not only is that happen but i'm gonna be in fucking los angeles the weekend of super bowl sunday i'm going to be there probably in la as the goddamn rams are celebrating winning a super bowl what in the oh. i just hope you're like followed throughout the city by matthew stafford billboards Maybe a blimp buried Matthew Stafford's name. I'm gonna. There are gonna be people like partying in the streets. Probably. I don't know if anybody cares about the Rams in LA, but like, there's gonna be people partying and celebrating a Rams Super Bowl victory, and I'm gonna have to see them in person. This is the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. This is the curse. It is personal now. This is the exact. This is the, the same isn't as Seattle what, sports. It's just that you, because you root for Seattle sports, therefore Seattle sports is cursed. Is it what you're saying? Yes. Seattle sports. It's weird that the Kraken are bad then. <laughs> Whatever. Well, I'm saying I've told a lot of people how happy I am that the Kraken are bad. Fans of the Kraken, not met with a great response. Because it was personal for you, the Kraken would be awesome. Because <laughs> I take it. I guess that's a good point. I am happy that the Kraken are bad. Um, <laughs> I was making the argument that you have to eat shit as fans for a few years. You can't just like get a good team right away. Like how the much, Los Angeles Rams. Well, how much shit did you eat as a Sounders fan, pray tell? That one time they lost in the U.S. Open Cup? I'm not that big of a Sounders fan. It doesn't change my life. These Kraken, fan, Kraken fans, they're like born on third base, right? I, I don't think they are. No, no it's good. This is a good thing. <laughs> they got bored right on now, first base at best. Kraken fans, losing is good. This is the best thing that could have possibly happened to you. But these Rams fans, the few of them that exist, are going to be I mean, they had to go through one Jeff Fisher season in L.A., right? Their first season, when they were in hard, hard Knocks the first time, Jeff Fisher was the coach. And then they've been there for how many years and have made the Super Bowl twice? Todd Gurley averaged like three yards per carry that season. That was probably a pretty tough season. <sighs> God. I can't believe that I have to do this. I have no. to be in L.A. No one forced you to say the things you did about Matthew Stafford. Ugh. It was a free country. You were allowed to have any take you wanted, and I you walked, chose the I take you did. through the streets of L.A. <laughs> celebrating the Seahawks beating Kyle Shanahan on Monday Night Football. That is true. 
You've had like some really this, intense experiences walking the Rashad Penny like, draft pick. This is more that than the Kyle Shanahan. And you thinking that Earl Thomas had been traded. You know what? Probably would have been a good trade. Well, neither here nor there. Oh God. Anyway, I just can't take it. Well, please. I, I went into a national championship, Joe Burrow against Alabama. I didn't really think LSU had a chance, and they ended up crushing LSU. So help us, Joe Burrow. You're our only hope. <laughs> <laughs> on that note thanks for listening thanks alright you didn't fucking tell me about my dude Ben Marshall being on Saturday Night Live as a writer and also doing segments you said it was Lonely Island style as Please Don't Destroy I mean I wasn't aware that he was your dude <laughs> There's there's your TikTok world, and there's my world of watching SNL, and those overlap, but I'm not aware of that overlap. <laughs> yeah. You have to inform me of that I overlap. I was shocked. Okay, so Please Don't Destroy, Ben Marshall, redheaded dude, right? Yes. Do you know who the other two dudes in Please Don't Destroy are? Their names? No, like who they are. Yeah, there's the one guy that looks uh, a little bit like... Uh... But no, who they are. No. This is Saturday Night Live nepotism. Wait, really? Both of them are children of former... Because I was like, like, please don't destroy it before this. It was like, I Ben Marshall had like a mildly successful TikTok account. Not like like a hugely popular, right? He's not Bella Porch or something. Like, it was a successful TikTok account. And their YouTube is like 76,000 subscribers. And I was like, are these dudes successful enough to be hired to do sketches on SNL? Both of the other two dudes' parents were writers and producers on Saturday Night Live. Well, that, that does check out, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, so it's Tim Hurley, Martin Hurley's son? Mm-hmm. Huh. It's Saturday Night Live nepotism that's happening. But you know what? I'm in favor because the sketches are amazing. <laughs> Pro-nepotism, you heard it here I first. Was just kind of, I mean, look, I was just like, look sure, Sean McVay had nepotism, but he draws up no, some good plays. those two dudes, that's what I was going to say. Those two dudes are the Shanahan McVay of <laughs> SNL. They really are. <laughs> Perfect. But the thing is, they're competing in the NFC Championship game, so you can't really complain about it. I mean, sure, please don't destroy. Maybe terrible at figuring out when to take timeouts or whether to go for fourth downs, but they draw up some fire sketches. Are we drinking JCPs? <laughs> JC Penny Seltzer. <laughs> that was a good one, yes. It was the best. Uh, I, I went back and watched. You told me about it, and I went back and watched every single one of their sketches. The Rami Malik. <laughs> like I've been on good behavior I think I deserve a treat <laughs> Just like Rami Malek So creepy I feel like that one I've kind of forgotten But the The three <laughs> Jiffy Loop seltzers He's like I've got a Jiffy Loop summer pack <laughs> <laughs> I mean that was I watched them with Luca And Luca's like This is amazing I Really? More. Oh he fucking loved it I think it was the JCP seltzers That really sold him Yeah You've seen a few seltzers in his day. He doesn't he gets know the who joke. Any, like there's like the the kid who from this last weekend, uh, who had the joke to pitch to Colin Jost. He has no idea who Colin Jost is. Oh, of course, makes sense. I was trying to explain to him who Rami Malek was. No idea. Wow. Do you feel like? I had another SNL question for you. Uh huh. Do you feel like they've made like? I feel like in the past, like the cold open the intro or whatever, like the first commercial joke that they do. That was like kind of like the heart of the episode. I feel like Weekend Update is now like, if you do the DVR where it has the like blue portion, like that's the show 
and then the yellow portion that's like the the commercials. Weekend Update is huge now. It's like a freaking behemoth. No, I think it's been that long for a long period of time. I don't think it's Has changed it? recently. When they've done like three guests. Also, the Sarah Spain is that her Sherman? Name? Sarah Sherman. Sarah Spain is my coworker at ESPN. That's close enough. The Sarah Sherman thing, where she takes over the hosting from college. Oh, hosting. she's outstanding. I was telling Jan about that, and she's like, "Oh, I don't like that." And I was like, "Of course you don't, Jan. This is humor for us young people, <laughs> <laughs> us geriatric millennials over here. Finally, this is for the youth. Finally, someone is speaking to the coveted age thirty-five to thirty-nine demographic." <laughs> We got Bone Yang. Like, that's where Bone Yang really shines. I, I agree. If there's a weekend update without Bone Yang, not even worth it. Well, what did you think of Bone Yang's, the, the thing they did last weekend? We I was sort of like half paying Brian. But what, anytime I see Bone Yang, I'm just in. I don't care. Okay. Right? Yeah. I'm 100%, 100% approval rating for Bone Yang. Everything he does. Agreed. So, but yeah, I felt like weekend updates become like, Oh, and Peyton Manning also. Not even like promoting anything, just randomly on there. Peyton Manning promoting himself being funny. Peyton Manning's hilarious. Such good comedic timing. I would like look. Tom Brady might have more Super Bowls. Tom Brady could never do that. I, I mean, maybe he could, but yeah, he's not as natural as Peyton Manning is for sure. <laughs> That's kind of a hilarious sentence. Not as natural of a comedian. <laughs> Peyton Manning is Peyton, I, I think Peyton Manning will have a longer term personality post football than Tom Brady will have I agree with that Peyton Manning's line reading on the you know really opens up the space in that commercial with Eli and the bus oh when did Cooper made it in right no no that's the that's the, oh, the Caesar sports back yes I'm yeah. referring to that one Jerome Bettis uh but also, Peyton Manning has like the legendary SNL sketches. Oh yeah, past. yeah no, I like mean, he, he's uh, like Peyton Manning could be a an SNL like cast member for like I'd be totally down with that. Let's get him in the Five Timers Club. I think he's he's probably a little too busy to be a full on cast member, but Five Timers <laughs> Club perhaps. I he's hosted only like one time, right? Is that it? Like conflating it with the Eli times. There was an Eli time. Oh yeah, Eli hosted it. Wow. Yeah. Okay, but I thought he was phenomenal this week. Agreed. When he goes into the yeah the, the whole thing, the Emily in Paris stuff, I thought it was incredible. But he's just like so committed to it, but also like doesn't break. I don't know. I thought it was great. Yeah. The, the last two weekend updates in a row, right? Because the previous week was the one where they had Pete Davidson as the the boat owners. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh. The the yacht owners. Yes. Which, Al- or Alex, they, Alex Moffat. I'm sorry. The uh, the ferry owners. I should yes. say. Alex Moffat, those guy who owns a boat. Yep. He's so good. No, no, it was it was well well pitched. I was glad I had read that news story about them buying the Staten Island ferry. 